Welcome to Chew the Fat. In this series, I sit down with high-performance guests over their favorite dish, and we talk about business, life, and what it takes to be at the top. This is all part of my mission to raise a million dollars for charity by writing a cookbook called Eat With Purpose. You can help by following, leaving a review, and sharing it to all of your friends and family, because ultimately the more you do, the bigger the audience and the larger the impact. In this episode, I sit down with Simon Beard, who successfully exited his company at $600 million called Culture Kings. What I absolutely loved about Simon was his energy. As I was speaking to him, it was infectious. He was really, really passionate about both his business, but also business in general. But in today's episode, we get deep into his business lessons and the way he thinks about creating business in 2024. I'm incredibly excited for you to hear this one, and I would love for some of your feedback. Simon Beard, the co-founder and CEO of Culture Kings. Welcome to Chew the Fat. Thank you, Frank. Excited to be here. So today, you've asked me a little dish from Nobu. Shout out to Nobu. We have a crispy rice cracker, which was uh, prepared at 4 a.m. this morning, uh, with some tuna, salmon, and a little bit of uh, sriracha mayo on top. Have a little bite, my friend. Oh my God. I've been <laughs> staring at it. I can't wait. Mm. I've got big shoes to fill. Nobu is an epic place. It's better. No, don't. It is. <laughs> don't listen oh to Nobu. So good. I wish I could make this. <laughs> so Simon, I've heard in a number of podcasts the headline of a 600 mil valuation. But what I know intimately is that feeling of that first tax office bill which says, hey, it's time to pony up. <laughs> what did that first bill for capital gains tax cost you for your exit? So we did the deal with half cash and half in shares mm -hmm. and we listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So yeah, we, we did, you know, have that amazing moment of the 300 mil dropping into my first little dollar mite account. Um, but yeah, we did have to, that capital gains taxes, as much as it, uh, when it, when it came around, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot. It was like, yeah, more than 60 million or something. <laughs> and I remember the, the moment when we had to, we had to pay it. We just kept delaying it to the last sort of day. And it was just like that thing of like this transfer. It's like, oh, surely uh, there's, but you know, I always feel like so many people can go to so many lengths to try and um, avoid sort of tax and stuff where it's like for this amazing country that mm. we live in and this amazing opportunity, I think it's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't dwell on it and it was, it felt, you know, very much well-deserved for all the opportunity and stuff that we got given in this country where you can just create something and run with it. And it's not, you know, I think this is such a wonderful thing about Australia, some of us forget, is that it's not like it's corrupt or they're mm. these gatekeepers or there's something like I could start at the markets with nothing get product market fit, import, because create a shop, do it. I didn't need this connections. I didn't need mm. this, like, and you could build it up to there. Like, that's 100%. It's, 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 it's land of opportunity in a lot of ways, isn't yeah. it? And it's, it's safe, it's beautiful. So I love that attitude. So for everybody that's living under, you know, it's been living under the rock over the years, tell me in a nutshell, what is Culture Kings and, and I guess what was your mission as a business? So our mission started, so... I'd started at the markets as a kid, never worked a job and was just that hustler sort of salesman. But I first did this schoolies merchandise, yep. which is ironic, it's on right now, which was a basic uh, hotel slipper with Gold Coast schoolies written on it. And that was the first time I realized like that really hit. Um, when I met my wife, we worked together on that and we just hit this product market fit of like, oh my God, when a trend catches on, yes. the network effects, you know, when all the cool kids had it and everyone else wanted it and it just snowballed what was possible. And I'd always been a bit of a streetwear fan myself, buying clothes for myself, had this disdain for surfwear and just, we went hard on this opportunity of what I saw with streetwear and just started at the markets next to my stall that was selling like consumer electronics. And then we just built it from there. And very early on, I sort of saw the opportunity of why can't we, why can't we win at this mm. when 
Okay, online was obviously starting, but it was coming bigger. I remember the success of Netaporter Online, which was one of those big online retailers mm. which really broke. No one thought, no one's going to buy a $6,000 dress online, and they just did it and pioneered it, this global model. And I was like, what about if we had like the Culture Kings Online was this global you know, really big online retailer and we had these signature stores. Like you don't need one in every shopping mm. center. You just need these flagship ones that really create the feeling, the state, the emotion, link it to it and then scale it with online. And And what we could always do with, I always thought what Foot Locker did with a thousand stores, we could do it with 50 mm. and, and win. And that was, and we had a, our mission very early, that was our, our mission was to be that global leader in mm. streetwear. Our purpose, which I, I, one of the first things I do when I'm investing mm. in companies is help mm. really get this clear. Cause I know when we got this clear, it just unlocks so much energy in mm. our team, which created so many great results, which was create magic moments for our customers, our teammates and ourselves. Mm. I mean, we just thought at the end of the life, you're not going to remember all the stuff you brought, but you'll remember the moments. Our part was not hoping they show up, like let's create them and create. And it was all about how do we create more of this dopamine effect? You know, how do we create this more vibrant atmosphere of buying something? How do we make it a bit more of a chase? You know, because people don't value what they don't fight for. Mm. This is the whole thing that Nike do so well is to create this hype. It means so much more than buying something off the shelf. And we always, and when we got that purpose clear, this led to so many breakthroughs of like what we would do with in-store events and celebrity meet and greets, because that was a magic moment. Mm. I remember that feeling when I first saw 50 Cent, you know, in in the thing, it was like he was this idol and then he was there. It was like, and I remember it was such a magic moment for me. If we could just create these and bring them to store and people could see the people that always seen on socials or tv it would be such a um an amazing moment and and this led through all our our business of getting that purpose Mm. really clear and i i cannot stress of of younger businesses of getting your purpose on words is so important Mm. because it can be such a north star when Mm. you come to decisions like why are we doing this 100 it it just clarified and this you know, from stuff that didn't make sense, you know, like I could tell you from Drake deal or, you know, giving them 200 grand in the duffel bag and sort of stuff. But it's like, this doesn't, you can't economically put it in a spreadsheet and sort of how's this going to pay itself off. Mm. But when you brought it back to the purpose of like the magic moment mm. of someone just being associated by, I've shopped at the same store as Drake. Yes. That, Gives that little bit of feeling and emotion. And this is how we partnered with events, you know, from music festivals like Ultra, Rolling Loud, etc., to um, how it worked into our sharpshooter basketball in mm. store, to how we created, you know, gamification of our Holy Grail and claw machines to create more. That's a magic moment to how we did not for sale, surprise and delight. Yes. All this tied back to and i could so clearly explain it through our Mm. purpose that all the staff got it straight away and yeah so cool so two things i'd love to explore first part is the magic moment feels like a really important uh, and now i guess on reflection a really obvious thing that you've done what was your big magic moment that got you onto that i suppose it was that you know there's a lot of those uh, frames that people would use online, you know, like the rocking chair analogy when you're 80 and you're sitting on your, you know, you step, what are you going to look back to? Yeah. And I would always think of that as like, you're not going to look back at all the sort of stuff, but it's those moments. And, and let's, let's focus now on like, let's create them. And mm. so when I would onboard all the staff, mm. I would, I would have this whole speech that I'd go through talking about this. It would take me about an hour just to explain magic moments, yeah. right? But it was this way that I would really get their buy-in mm. of like, okay, that's what we're doing. Because the magic moment too mm. is not just so we for our we create them for our customers, yeah. our teammates, how we celebrate wins together, 
and ourselves. So magic moments for ourselves, I say some of the biggest ones is when we're scared, mm. but we do it anyway. Courage. You know, when you speak up in that meeting mm. and your voice cracks because you're not, but you still keep going and you get it, that's a magic moment. Mm. And, and when you would define these also in our environment of growth and learning and, and pushing and doing, that's where it became. And I know for me, those were the magic moments is that I was, I was so scared to do it, but when I, I signed the fucking lease, I put the money on the thing. I, I was on the Facebook ads manager and I went $1,000 a day, you know, on the ads. Where at the time it was like, you know, it was like, I would get that gut check feeling. Yes. I would get that, but when you did that, that was magic. And, and that's what I really would try to unlock. And I think this is such an important thing for businesses of how you get this purpose clear because how we, we all interact and how we really drive emotion is we need that feeling. Mm. And, and some of us that are entrepreneurs, we get this feeling off numbers and seeing yes. dashboards and charts, but actually the majority of staff don't get that. Yep. And that's what a lot of people make this mistake is thinking when they see everything up and right, they're green, they get excited mm. because it's, it's money for them, but the staff have zero mm. connection with that. But when you can tie it, especially this was really important in retail. So many people worked in retail because they just love talking to people yeah. and doing it. They don't get, you know, off the numbers and driving that sales where once we did it is like our job is they walk in like in like, oh, what's this story? Is that your job is to light them the fuck up. Because yeah. you want them to leave like they got a cape on the back and they fucking fly out there. <laughs> like that is your job and it's to create this magic moment, you know, that, they have this true connection mm. in a retail. And when you could get that clear to them, I just knew it made so much more than, and the dashboards all went up and to the right, yeah. but you have to do it indirectly. Mm. And that's what I think so much people that are so much around the numbers can try and force that on, mm. on staff, especially if they're in that field, they're not doing like, someone's not joining the retail, you know, and is working there because they're fucking numbers driven. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. they just love talking to people yes. and that's what you have to unlock and just try and measure it that way. That was a... And when you reflect on that, what is the, like of all the magic moments that you put together, you know, we talked about the Drake thing. What do you think the one that was the biggest unlock for you or the one that I can see the smile in your eye right now? I think it was when that feeling when I first saw 50 Cent, who was like this idol mm. to me, and seeing him in real life and just getting like this, ooh, like this feeling, you know, like you get it when you see a celebrity. And I was just like, that is such a cool feeling and you remember it forever. And then I was like, I'm just gonna figure out a way how to create that mm. for as many people as possible. I don't care if they don't buy mm. anything, they don't thing, like it's free, it's, but I just know if you create that feeling, in our store, mm. like that's gonna drive true brand. That's gonna create it. And that's, those were the deals that we worked on early of like, you know, when artists were in town and working your way through the entourage mm. and, you know, from bribing their entourage, <laughs> to paying them cash, to paying the promoters to get them to come in. But then just trying to create the right organic space mm. where they feel they could connect with their fans and it wasn't this set up like stand here and. <laughs> thing where they could because as well that's when and to see those i remember when we first sort of did it and you would see the faces i used to love like helping them get their photos or pre-framing them before they get to look for chris brown you know and they're, and they're just seeing the look on their face it was so uh exciting and that's when i knew and this was the other thing when it cracked it is like everyone that got a photo with them it would go straight to profile yes. pic. And I was like, how much is that worth? Because yes. they're like, you've just got only got like 500 profile pics in one day, yes. but they leave there for probably years. Like, they're <laughs> you know, still there today. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, uh, I've still got my Drake one as well. <laughs> profile pic. And but, on, yeah. on the flip side, in those moments of chaos, when you think about that, what was your big moment of going, oh, I've gone over the top? It's funny, as much as I, 
look back on on some of the deals like ones i don't i don't i i really feel that i as much as i was valuing that future value it was actually worth so much more mm. it was so much mm. cheaper mm. that i should have just done more and more of them of building that brand and having more of that trust in that gut and i suppose that's where it's hard because you've really got to play the long game in it you're mm. not going to see the return yeah. that month or that thing but when you stack it over time what it was worth oh, was phenomenal so i don't i don't sort of look back and think did i pay or put? and trust me those times i know when i've so many times when i've i've paid it or doing it like I've had that look or from Tani or things like, have we just, you know, like, was this just stupid? Mm. But it, when I look back now, it was it was all a bargain, really. Mm. So let, let's let's change gears. So so you know, Culture Kings um, is a big part of your context and your and your you know where you've been. I'd love to talk about the future. What does that look like for Simon? Where are you going and where are you investing your time and energy? Yeah. So. I stepped away from the day-to-day -day at the start of this year. And I suppose it was like, you know, as we from a public company, it was a big thing of launching the, the Vegas store, which, you know, was a ton of work and it was a big dream and vision of ours. And when we got that in, in the Caesars and it was so good. You know, my wife was nine months pregnant, you know, worked like three months straight, you know, was oh. there, over there, like, crazy hours we literally could fly it was like the second last day she could fly to come back oh. and we pulled it off and it was such a cool opening and to have it all there and the big after party at omnia nightclub and all the bottles of zola culture kings and all that video on the screens it was like it was a true like wow like we made it moment but when we came back you know and we we're just about to have our fourth child and stuff it was like i really felt I'm an entrepreneur at mm. my core. Mm. And this is the thing is when you're an entrepreneur, I made this misassumption is though when you give away control, mm. you never like, you're not an entrepreneur anymore. You're an employee. No matter how much I was like, but I'm the biggest individual shareholder, but I'm on the board. But I'm, as much as I try and justify it, I was like, yeah, but I couldn't, I didn't have that control. Mm. And it's just very different, you know, from we were a husband and wife team, owned 100%, never had less than, you know, 10 mil in the bank. We were pretty conservative mm. in like we were running zero debt, you know, we could make our decisions and think super long term to a public company, got a report every quarter, mm. majority owned by private equity, um, you know, and over 100 million plus US debt. Mm. Like it's just a different... It's totally different worlds. Yes. So I just felt, you know, I'm better to step away. And, you know, it was some of these things too where I was, you know, am I right? Am I wrong on the direction? And it was sort of a good split test to mm. step away and, and see for myself of, of was I right or was I wrong? And, and I suppose for, for me of, to really learn and get back to that entrepreneurial mm. spirit mm. i wanted to invest in younger companies mm. i wanted to help them scale it's like i've got all this knowledge mm. now i like i felt i learned so much in just going through the deal and of e-commerce and ones and how they want to do retail and omni-channel and it's like oh it's like i've got the playbook you know <laughs> i want to help you i want to i want to help you uh and and scale and grow and and that's my more purpose yes. now and to do it for for other companies and um you know i still believe too like i i love that whole in going through the deal of private mm. equity i was like oh my god this would be fun like yeah. i really thought like buying other companies working out ways to improve them seeing how you can leverage and create it i really thought like I, when I went through that, I was like, I can see myself in the future, mm. you know, in like 10 years or so having this massive private equity firm and, and doing that. And so I thought, um, why not start the learning and the process? Because I want to, you know, there's still a lot to learn and better. I know I can do it for myself, but can you do it for multiple? Can you influence in the right way? And that's my sort of 
learning part now to eventually do that. So bring me into that conversation. You've got these young startups, these young people that you're, and when I say young, the young businesses, you're mentoring, having those discussions with them. What's the common traits that you're seeing and what's the pieces of value that you're really bringing to them? Common traits that I see is that they get distracted by shining light syndrome, right? It's always like, oh, we could be doing this or we could be doing this. There's just, there is so much opportunity where it's like, and I know for myself, I can obviously, I'm that entrepreneur, can get distracted by that as well. But from what I've learned is that really you, you've got to remember what you're saying no to and just concentrating that focus. And this is the thing. Sometimes it's, it's doing boring stuff. Sometimes you don't need another meeting or another strategy. It's just we just got to keep the strategy going mm. and not get distracted and not go for the shining light and just really get that flywheel to compound. Mm. That is one of the biggest lessons I think I've I've taken because it's especially and this is where I think my wife was such a great balance mm. of me. She was the process and the operations and the and that I'm like the ideas and really move fast as sales and marketing. I can get distracted by the next thing, but she would always be like, no, we're doing this, right? Mm. Like and she was the big one of like, you know, one store per year. Yes. Like where we could have jumped, like it's working, it's this, this spitting out this much EBITDA cash, like when it's like, no, we want to make sure we do it right and just do it and no debt and we just self-funded. And it was like, it was so good because we were just compounding the mm. model mm. and building that flywheel yes. that it got to that point. And so that's where I feel for a lot of these these startups and stuff, especially for my mentality now, I'm trying to reel back the entrepreneur in me mm. and balance it out more with investor. Yes. So you entrepreneur, it's all emotion, right? Yeah. It's all, let's go, it's exciting. But investor is no emotion, mm. is pure stepping back. And what I'm trying to do is balance that and just go, more of it is what are we saying no to and just realigning them mm. that it's worth it and play the long game and stack that that compound, that flywheel effects. Saying no is truly like a muscle that you have to build. Yeah. I know, and maybe it's the entrepreneurial spirit that we share, yeah. but it's the muscle that I've had to practice so much in the last 12 months because my starting position is trust and yes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's it's really, really interesting to have to, to, to balance that and keep working on it. And you often, there's a sense of guilt, Yeah. but it's the right thing to do. And you can actually let fewer people down by doing 100%. it. 100%. And you would be a, so there's, I always say a really great thing is know if you're a trust earner or a trust giver mm. you're definitely a trust giver you give trust yes. straight away yep. and you know you you're over optimistic mm -hmm. on people i'm sure you got the same thing like pretty much every interview you do you're like they'll be able to do it like <laughs> they can do it like you you have this over belief in people but i use i remember this was something that it is a superpower but also can be a disadvantage mm. you have to be able to mm. balance it because my wife's a trust earner she gives no trust straight mm. away builds it up very slowly but there's pros and cons on both sides because us trust givers, when someone rips us off, we can go psycho, right? Because we're like, well, I would never do that to someone. How could someone? And you just sort of go to these fucking extremes where a trust earner, when someone rips it off, they can let it. It's like water off a duck's back. Mm. It's like, oh, I knew they'd do that. And they move on really quickly, but they build it up slowly. So sometimes they miss opportunities because they mm. don't trust. But sometimes too we can obviously get burnt because we give trust so easy but it's that balance and knowing i think it's truly born into you it's mm, like a mm, nature mm. versus nurture thing yeah um but it's it's for entrepreneurs that's what enabled us to take the risk to even have a go and get and go stuff quickly like you yeah. just said you go quickly because because you're like i see it at face value yeah. boom let's go yeah. you know like boom let's go and i remember that my very first thing in the markets you know when i sent money to like this alibaba you know, and the first thing I was like, my parents like, how do you know that you're gonna, they're going to send you the stuff? And I'm like, I don't know. Because they, they've, the advertiser, surely they've got it. They what will, you, what right? Do you mean? They send yeah, it. Yeah, like they've, it's, it's, and it's for them, their first thing is like, is this a scam? Are they going to yes. rip it off? The first thing I'm looking at is the opportunity. It's like, well, I can buy it for a dollar, I can sell it for 10, you know, <laughs> the hotel slipper. So, yeah, that's, that is that. It's a, 
you need to have that balance of both. And that's with Tani and I, mm. where she was the trust and I was the trust giver and we could together get a really good balance there. And on that concept around, um, you're in that unique position. You've, you've had, uh, and it sounds like an amazing wife and that could give you that balance and it made perfect sense to be a co-founder and, and found Culture Kings together. There's many people listening today that they don't have that person in their life. Same with me. I have brothers that are incredible. What's your recommendation to a new young startup? Do you look for a co-founder or do you go it alone? I think where people, they get a lot of, uh, sometimes founders, but they're very much the same. Mm. What If you don't have one already and you're doing it, you need to have an opposite skill set mm. and an opposite, not too much crossover. Mm. Like for that, this was just, you know, where Tani, where I won the lotto with Tani is like, I was always the ideas and the marketing was really good and I could always like generate and that was my sort of skill in the sales. But she was like this operation and process and really understood that side of the business. So that's where we were the perfect combo together. And how do you find that? I always say um, it's this ultimate personality test online mm. it's principles you ray dalio the biggest hedge fund of all time started it you can do it for free it's better than like the 10 grand uh myers-briggs ones and i make every staff that i'm about to interview or something do it and you can even compare against other people mm. in their team so you can already see some of the challenges but uh that could come up but where the always the best partnerships have worked is where there's actual their strengths and weaknesses mm. are opposite. And that's where that perfectly shows on that test with myself and my wife is like, I'm 98% creative, but she's 2% creative. Mm. But she's 98% detailed and reliable, and I'm 2% detailed and reliable. So we perfectly balance each other out. And, and I, the overlay I'd love to make on that one is, um, I certainly get that question around the co-founding piece. My biggest watch out, the call out for me is, Having other founders is uh, is an incredible strength when you have the right founders, but that's the one time where I do start with a trust, you know, the, the trust starting position. However, you want to take time before you get there because yeah. it truly is yeah. as complex as a marriage. It yeah. truly can yeah. be even more when you start to go years and years increase. So never take that decision lightly to bring in a true co-founder or co-founders into business that you don't know. You know, I hear this often, which is like, oh, don't do... Um, don't do business with your family. And I like, well, the reality is at least it's the devil I know. You know, yeah. so at least I know intimately what it looks like when they're happy, sad, angry. Yeah. The other person, I only get to see a certain side of them. Yeah. And that's the scary part. <laughs> exactly. So I noticed that through, this, uh, through the social game, um, you're doing a lot in, in, the, in the AI space in, ter in terms of teaching yourself and trying to learn and talk about ChatGPT and the new versions. What's that all about? And like, what are you driving towards? I suppose when, for me, and this was a part when I sort of stepped away, I went way down the ChatGPT rabbit hole when it came out in November last year. And I was just like, I got that feeling in my gut when I remember when I was on Facebook ads in 2011, mm. when it first came out. And I remember when Facebook ads came out, I was like, oh, I've got to learn this. This looks really exciting. And then I'm like, oh, I'm too busy running these retail stores. I need to find an agency or something to do it. And then I thought, you know what? No one knows how to do this yet. Mm. Like, it's just being coded by some developers. And I'm like, I'm sure whatever those developers, I could figure it out and, mm. and do it. And I just clicked on every single column and hovered over. What is the information? What does this do? What does this do? And just really investigate and learnt it from the grassroots. Mm. But because I could... I could really understand those fundamentals of it. That was a game changer. You know, I spent hundreds of millions on Facebook ads and socials. And as that growth over the time, you know, I could still like earlier this year, I would every day be logging into the ad account and running through a whole company of hundred, explaining what content was working mm -hmm. and why, and trying to give those knowledge out. Because if you're running an e-com business, there's no platform like it so much of your revenue is directly proportionate mm. to that. And, and in that first principles that came out in 2011, when I always thought the reason why I lent into it and did it mm. is because I'm like, you've got a TV ad, the TV industry is so big. You mm. have no idea where it's going to, who's watching it, who's actually, it's just 
complete black hole where this you can click, you can target mm. the exact person. It's like this has to just be, it has to take over. Mm. And so I know from getting that grassroots feel, and this is what I felt with AI. I felt there's no way the traditional way of doing this mm. is going to work like if you're using this AI. But I was like, I can't get a consultant or an agency. Mm. I need to get my hands in the tools and play with it and figure out, you know, that real touch and feel at that mm. grassroots level because then I'll know how to make the best decision. And as much as, as it keeps developing to stay close to it, mm. and that's, that's what I felt with this chat GPT is like this could be this next thing, exactly like how Facebook ads was, mm. I know that's, that's how we built our, was, um, you know, we never had an agency. We never, I did it, we did it always in the house. Through. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, uh, it's, it's still that knowledge of understanding, you know, the content, the, or the product, the content, the feedback loop of mm. how the ads were in the data and then feeding that back around mm. as, as tight as you can run that loop. Is it the AI is very similar? Is it's mm. resetting the first principles? Mm. Exactly like what Facebook did to TV and everything is that, you know, this is, there's a new way to build up from. And I have been using it a lot and looking for ways of how to streamline a lot mm. of processes and implement. And I just believe you could, you can build like quite a big company now with very <laughs> few employees. And that's what I sort of see as the opportunity. Take me there for the listeners. You have the tools of 2020, 24. What would you do differently? How would you use them to bring it to start yourself a new business? So, Definitely, if it was clothing sort of related, you know, I would never start like how I did at the markets or something. I would just do it all for online mm. and really learning that the ads and the deployment. And there's so many cool technologies around print on demand mm. or when you're mm. not taking this inventory risk and how you can properly uh, do it. That's how you could do it and build a huge business yourself. Mm -hmm. And... I think though, understanding the core of like Facebook ads, understanding Shopify, a lot of people don't know this, but I was doing all the ads and the buying at Culture Kings up to 50 million turnover, right? So it was not like, it was a lot of people think, oh, I need to get this agency when they're like five or 10. I'm like, what the hell? You can do it yourself. You could, and it's so much easier now. Mm. Like you could probably still run the ad account on a 10 million, $20 million business on like three hours a week. Yeah. And so I'm like, but the founder doing that mm. or the CEO, there's no other three hours that's going to be more valuable because even if you're not doing it quite as good as someone else, you have so much more context yeah. knowledge that the other person won't have that you will actually do such a better job and it will drive the whole loop. And this is where, you know, especially a lot of people think of, um, and, and this is what I really encourage because I've sort of seen people uh, say a bit older than me, you know, at a bit success and they see new technology, but they don't dive mm. under it. Like say even Excel, for example, yeah. and, but they don't even understand how to even chop a little bit of data or something mm. themselves and everything has to get relied on. And I've just seen when they've missed stuff or mm. got bamboozled by people that can. And I was like, I want to, keep that muscle strong. Mm. I want to keep that as much as I can grow. I just don't want to be, you know, just in the clouds and mm. all this high level strategy when that's, that's the dinosaurs that get smoked yes. because these people that can just connect it and do a whole new way. And that's what I think will keep happening more and more mm. with technology and with, with AI and, and how you can leverage it and run a smaller team. And it's just, because when you have a smaller team and you're making more that de decision making, mm. you've just got way less parts to leak mm. uh, to make mistakes because it's so much more centralized. 
And what about the, the, the AI pieces? So, so with what you've seen with ChatGPT and what you can do today, how would you implement that into your business of 2024 that you're starting? You could, so yeah, obviously there's all the low hanging fruit stuff of like copy or generating the website. You know, you can build all that automated now with AI. But not only that, like you can use AI models, you can create your own AI influences mm. to drive content and product that are, that are driving that. Talk me through that. What do you mean? So you can, you can, so I suppose this, this is going to disrupt massively. But so in the fashion industry, there's this, it's a bit of a broken part where agencies sort of can hire these or can sign this talent and then you've got to pay so much to use a model mm. and then there's usage rights you know if you put them on a billboard or something you've got to pay mm. like another thousands of dollars and it's all this sort of stuff where now and it's quite a slow process mm. to shoot it where you can just use the visual mock-ups that you would not be able to tell now you can use an ai model which we ha always have this argument in creative of who's the right model is it the right are they muscular enough do they have the right amount of tattoos you know, what's the good of skin color? And we all sort of debate about it. Where now we can fucking make the perfect one that we, and then they're yours too. Mm. And then you can create other content and do it. That's what I think is going to be huge. And then you could create all these sort of influence and stuff accounts. Mm. You're already seeing this now, you know, these influence accounts, you know, with hundreds of thousands of dollars that are making all this money and they're completely AI generated. That I believe though, so that whole model is like you basically have no studio, mm. you generate all the images, you generate all the models, you generate all the content. Um, and then it's micro-segmentation because to your point around what's the right model, exactly. the right model is different for every environment. Exactly. And so therefore then rather than hiring your 100,000 models, you got the right ones for the right place and the exactly. right targeted audiences. You, you're you're I used to say this, uh, one of the big things in rapport, like people like people who are like themselves yeah. or who they'd like to be. If you could exactly <laughs> mirror that, you know, like the right Asian model for the right one, you know, and, and bridge that. But that is, uh, it's a, the model, and this is a big thing in streetwear, people didn't realize of how important because it's how you, how the model looked and how they wore the product was actually more important. Mm. Um, really could create a trend or not and mm. could really kick it. We, it's crazy when you see that sometimes the conversion difference when you've had a product and then you've just reshot it on a different model with the right pose and it's just like, it's like, what the hell just happened? And it's just, there's, because we're making decision off that emotion. Mm. And I think though that's just going to be even more AI. Mm. But it's like the thing is like, you, you know, to go to Dubai and do a photo shoot, you could do the whole thing generated mm. soon enough that you will not be able to tell a difference. Mm. And yeah, it's going to be, that's where I sort of think is that the content generation at such scale mm. and such the long tail micro segmentation is going to be huge. And, and you could just, yeah, run that with like super lean team. And, and it's just, the thing is to do this in real life especially the cost of travel and everything mm. now and inflation. It is so expensive. Mm. It is so expensive when you're like fly everyone there mm. and the shoot and the models and the makeup and the, it just costs like $100,000 and you're just like for what you could do now. <laughs> it's that's, that's where I see a huge opportunity. And in your world, in your mind, is this a winners take all environment? as we scale up with, with AI and people using the tools? Or is this a, the great, um, what's the right word? Essentially the, the ability that a lot of smaller people will levels do, of playing you know, field. yeah, levels of playing field. What do you see? I, I see it more as it levels the playing field. Mm. I always used to think of this is that what's gonna beat Nike and I'm like, I don't think it's going to be another Nike that beats Nike. It's mm. going to be the death by 10,000 cuts mm. over the long term in that there's so much of these little brands that will be able to, with such a little team, be able to just micro niche and target someone better with mm. more affiliation or the next LeBron James doesn't do Nike, just creates their own shoe mm. because the, and can create their own TikTok shop mm. and thing. 
and wear a new pair of shoes every game, release a new colorway for each shoe and it's on the talk shop and it's two buttons to buy it. And it's like, you cut out everyone else. Like that, that will make so much more sense to me mm. is that that's, that's what I sort of feel is that the playing field gets actually leveled mm. and gets even more cut down by those those micro niches and that those dinosaur companies, because the thing is when you get big, just the amount of bureaucracy mm. and those layers that can can just slow it down enough that in this world, and, it's, and it is even a lot of business owners on here will be wondering like, how do I do these right AI conversations at work? Because it's almost creates people to get their back up yeah. straight away. Soon as you, it's like, are you trying to get me that? They naturally have this fear. Are you trying to cut me out? Are you trying to do? And that's where it's this awkward stage right now where mm. I'm always trying to be like, look, it's increasing productivity. We can do so much more. We can create so much more value. Mm. And if we're not and other people do it, they will, they will eat our lunch. Yeah. It's like the thing is like, I used to call this out crazy like 10 years ago of Meyer and David Jones right? I used to take my staff there and go this is the definition of what, what to do look at them dinosaurs you could throw a bowling ball you can't hit one stuff they try and sell everything they try to sell to everyone they sell to no one it's just random shit hoping someone will walk in and fucking buy it where I'm like what we do is we put on a show a theater emotion we connect a fucking true feeling that's what they're buying and I always said that will never last like trust me these guys are a ticking time bomb. And it was so crazy, like David Jones last year, and it was going through the thing and it sold for a hundred million, like the whole thing. And I remember I saw the thing and I was trying to tell Tony, I was like, do you we could buy this? Turn this around. And, but it was like crazy. I was like, surely you could just sell all that Melbourne property and fucking hell. I was like, anyway, but it's crazy to think like that iconic retailer mm. over all that. And I was like, I called this, you know, 10 years ago when I was just at this tiny little store and a thing is that, on our valuation, like we sold six times. What David, like how, how does that make any sense? That's so cool. But that's the thing is, that's what happens to mm. dinosaurs when you don't innovate, when you just rest on your laurels. And if you read all those business books, the stories, you know, the Blockbuster, the Canon digital, mm. uh, the Kodak digital cameras and all that, it's you just have to keep reinventing. You have to keep that change. You have to always be doing the next thing. And the second that you you take that foot off that gas, you that entropy sits in. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's only a matter of time. And yeah, it can be slow death, like we see in mm. our radio and traditional mm. media, but it's still fucking dying. Right? Mm. There's no doubt about it. But it's just on this, and it's from these legacy deals that they've mm. sort of held on. But um, you know, it's it's just, you know no matter which way you look at it, it's like why Tesla is worth more than every yeah. other car company combined. Is, is yeah. now the right time to tell you that David Jones is actually my biggest sponsor of this podcast? Oh, shit. <laughs> <No, no. laughs> yeah, they got, they're not smart enough to do that. <laughs> um, Simon, as we start to wrap up, what haven't I asked you? You know, What's the thing that's getting you really excited that we haven't talked about? I suppose... My thing is, what I get really excited about is I've, why I created, you know, started my own sort of personal brand and mm. stuff this mm. year. I saw the sort of changing tide of it and I thought about doing it years ago and I was always sort of too scared. I'm like, well, I'm going to make Culture Kings not as cool because mm. it was sort of always this way cooler brand mm. than me, right? Mm. It was this, I didn't want to, you know, stuff it up sort of thing, but what I sort of see is how this changing world, and this is because of AI and stuff, is the power of the personal brand. Mm. It's not about this width of, you don't need all these followers, but just having the right ones, mm. the quality. And that's when I started my personal brand, not to be well-known, but be known well mm. by the right people. And it is just so powerful. And I really got onto this from Alex Hamozzi, which mm. is sort of like super viral and legend, the king right now. And I saw it because I was like, this guy is so smart with his acquisitions.com because mm. now I've watched him for a number of times. I know how he thinks. I know how he operates. It's like, I know that guy's going to win. 
you know, anything. And then it's like he has the ultimate deal flow of all these businesses to buy. But if he just went on his story right now and goes, I'm starting my first fund, apply to invest, I'd, I'd hit the swipe up and put 10 mil in straight away because I just know he's going to win in his, in his own private. So he could raise hundreds of millions of dollars, mm. but then he has hundreds or billions of dollars of deal flow mm. on the other side. He has this ultimate talent acquisition pool to bring in the right talent to do it. He just has this ultimate point of leverage. And I was like, you know what? The next big private equity firms, the big hedge funds even potentially after that will be actually from these personal brands. And mm. I think it's just such an advantage to be in a, what now is a faceless company that yeah. hides in the shadows, that you don't know anything. It's so secretive. It's so, and it feels very untrustworthy, mm. you know, from those first little reach outs of the mm. junior admins and something where it's like, if, and that's why I wanted to start my personal brand because like when I learn enough and in a few years when I'm fucking ready, like I would have this connection of people that have followed me. I've given them heaps mm. of value and they understand how I think and work and operate. And then on the other side, people that want to invest that are looking for alternative mm. private equity is like, oh, that guy's going to win, mm. you know, because they've followed you for years and understand how you work and operate. And that's what I sort of thought is what a great to invest in this now. Mm. And then I can, that's, that's my sort of thing. And I believe to that the personal brand and just what I've seen too is even for myself, what was crazy is already now, I don't know, not many 30 something thousand followers, but already my engagement and especially like mm. story views and stuff were even more than Culture Kings with 1.6 million. Wow. And it's like, and even the crazy stuff of, you know, you know, from shouting out just stuff that I was doing, boat charters or something, then getting half a million dollars worth of charters or selling all this, you know, and just because it became from that figure of influence, mm. you know, I wasn't doing it. I was just doing it because it's stuff that I do and I love and mm. I, I'm not trying to, you know, I don't want to monetize it or anything. You're not selling it, toothpaste anytime soon. But it is that, it is crazy, I think, that learning of like the power of positioning mm. and influence and just what I've learned is, I suppose, especially us in the world, we've always got caught up on these big numbers, but it's so many, like I've paid ones with 5 million that have done a swipe up and sold fucking zero. Mm. And I'm like, how can this make sense? But it's because it's the thing is when, what is influencer is when they say jump, they jump. Mm. And this is where a lot of influencers stuff up, right? Is because they advertise conflicting things and lose all that brand equity. Imagine if LeBron James went, Oh, this week buy a Jordan, the next week mm. buy New Balance, the next week buy Adidas. You would just never, mm. it, it, it means nothing. And that's is where some of these early taking the quick cash can do that, where I sort of feel as this landscape more and the people that really have that integrity and mm. build on it properly. And that's what I sort of see. And, and, that's that's sort of my exciting term, and I just love to do deals and and help invest in exciting, growing companies, and looking for ways that I've seen stuff work and how I can implement now and share mm. those learnings and and love to get those founders because I suppose this is the thing with a lot of founders and entrepreneurs. Mm. It is a it is a pretty lonely journey. Mm. You don't really have people that you can really talk to, and because you, you can't share your your stresses and stuff yeah. with, you can never let the staff see it. You no. can never let anyone see it. You've really got to hold on to it. But if you have that right, I'd, I'd love to give that to, mm. I know where I've had those moments and it was, it was a breakthrough for me and I never would have got to where I was without mm. having that guidance mm. and mentoring. And yeah, you just don't know what you don't know. Mm. And to have someone a bit further down the road that can, you know, save them from so many of those arrows in the back mm. can just be game changing. And, and to get them to, to an exit point, mm. like it is just that sign of relief because so many entrepreneurs, like employees do not understand that pressure as an oh, entrepreneur yeah. that just never releases. Yeah. It never goes away. I thought, oh no, it'll go away at 20 million. It will go away at 50 million. Trust me, you turn it over hundreds of millions of dollars. That was even more fucking pressure because it was more like, oh my God, the wage bill is half a million dollars a week 
You know, I have a thousand people's fucking families that are relying on me to make the right fucking decision. And only when you got to that exit point and you could sort of create that, I remember that, that feeling, I never slept better. Yes. Uh, I wish I was wearing a whoop then. I would have seen <laughs> the, the sleep score go from friggin' 20% to 90. But yeah, that was, and I love to create those moments mm. for founders and entrepreneurs because I love that. I love sharing the risk and everything mm. they've taken to do it. Like, and to be able to reach that true magic moment. And then that's part of the thing is you help give back and create more. It's this self, exactly what you're doing. It's, it's the thing is when you have this sort of success, it's like anything. The first thing you want to do is share it with yes. other people. Cause you're like, 100%. Oh my God, I, I did this and it worked. Like you, you want to show it. Yeah. So that's, that's the journey. I love it. And, and, and my final question to you, Simon, is as you think this journey, about this journey you've been on, what's the thing you're most proud of? I think what I'm most proud of is doing it with my wife. Because I think like this is the most the most magical thing of like when we started the school of slippers, you know, I, she helped and we killed it. We made all this money. And then I was like, Oh, I've got to pay her. And she, I said, how much should I owe you? She goes, nothing. I just did it. Cause I love it. And I was like, Oh my God. And, and we just kept working. And I, I said, I'd like, Oh, you know, I'll pay you a salary. And after two weeks, I just said, um, I don't have any money. Let's just share money. And we shared money like from six weeks into our relationship. And we were like, you know, just, and we worked 100 hour weeks back to back. We did five years without a day off sort of thing, just to the balls to the wall. Um, and we, we went all through those grinds and the ups and downs and we always pulled each other through. And then to be able to celebrate it now mm. together, you know, to have these experiences or whatever we're doing or, you know, it's and, and getting to share it with her mm. is such this magical thing because um, like... We did it together. We we grinded it together and now we get to the ball together. <laughs> so it's like it is that that's the what I'm most proud of, yeah. And then obviously our creating the four kids with her and seeing the magic that happens of, of just the interaction of them and us. That's so cool. I love that's it. So, so cool. I'm <laughs> I'm jacked up. Simon, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think the things that I reflect on, number one is you built an incredible, th uh, you know, you built an incredible business, but I can tell by your enthusiasm, your excitement, uh, you're only getting started. <laughs> you're only getting started and it's so cool. I think it's, you know, it's so awesome that we've got to have this conversation so that I can kind of follow along this journey. Um, the takeaways for me is around that learning for the, the, for the founders to, to go, go either find someone that you can, you know, work with, find those right people in your circle uh, and then just trying shit out, you know, getting yeah. stuck in the detail. I love that because I do, I have seen so many people in my, in my, and it doesn't necessarily have to be dinosaurs, but people who are like delegate, 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 and you ask them, you know, it's a technical, a non-technical CEO and you go, hey, you know, what, what tech stack do you use? And they go, oh, ask the CTO. And you're like, dangerous. You know, yeah. You're in a tech company, you don't know it. Yeah. And I just love that you're detail orientated, but then know what detail to get stuck into. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, so thank you so much. This is awesome. And I, I know everybody's going to love it.